0: The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. So as Gabe said, uh, I am Adam, and uh, I've been on staff here for about a year and a half now. For the last year, I was building what we call Axe Antioch, which is our evening service over in Cedar Park. And now I am called a, a resident church planner, which just means... Uh, I have more responsibilities. Usually I'm, uh, usually I'm behind the keys and, and doing all sorts of things. Uh, and the last time I actually was, was given a message, we were under a tree in a basketball court next to an elementary school. If you don't believe me, there's a picture out in the lobby. Uh, so it's pretty wild to think that. Just about six months ago, we were still in an elementary school. We were still t- trying to figure things out, and, and now we're here. And, and it's amazing to see God's faithfulness in that. Um, and so this past year, uh, when we started this series, it was actually in January. We've been going through an entire year of the story. And so in, in the spring, we did the Old Testament, and in the fall, we're doing the New Testament. And so up to this point, we've been doing a lot of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, and today, uh, what we saw is a little bit of transitionary time um, into what we're going to. And, and so today, we're exploring the idea of the transformative power of being a follower. The transformative power in being a follower. Uh, transformation in itself is a topic that is obsessed over in our culture. If you ever go into HEB or, or Target or Walmart and you are going up to check out, and you walk past the magazine rack, you see all of these different things that are claiming to transform you. The things that that are going to fix your life. And oftentimes it's in like three simple steps or 10 ways that you can be new now. Well, today we have an example. We have Esquire Magazine here. And uh, this one, uh, just from a few months ago, it says at the top, things that make us better. And on here, there's a bunch of different uh, words that will make us better next to a very beautiful Charlie's. But we have uh, being a good friend, having more stamina, love, science, my favorite, badassery. We have it right over there. Um, and then at the bottom, I had to to crop out some of the other things that, you know, Esquire magazine would have that would make this message less PG-13. But you can only imagine what our culture deems important for transformation. And, and so today I want to talk about real, authentic transformation, things that, that what God requires for us to transform, because what this is offering isn't true transformation. As, as many of you know, a lot of what they have on here is a lot of, uh, of cheap tricks and tempor- temporary solutions. And so today we're, we're going to talk about how being a follower of Jesus involves complete transformation of self. And that complete transformation can be seen in three steps. The first step is recognition. The second step is death. And the third step is a new life. So being a, being a follower of Jesus involves complete transformation of self. So we're going to start with that idea of recognition. So up to this point, uh, we're in the the Gospel of Matthew today, Um, and up to this point in Matthew, uh, Jesus has done a lot of public ministry, meaning that he's been uh, doing the Sermon on the Mount, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and and he's been going out and he's been teaching about godly life and just general topics of just this is how to follow God. Um, But at at verse 21, the very start of today's passage, uh, there's the phrase, "...from this time." And this phrase marks the, the change in the content of what Jesus is talking about. So up to this point, it was a lot about just general life, and he was talking to mass people. But from this time, changes of the content. And so now Jesus is talking specifically to the disciples, and his content changes to topics of death, resurrection, and his role as Messiah. And so uh, this is why in verse 22 and 23, we have Peter who's a little bit confused. And I mean, it's not uncommon for Peter to be confused. Uh, But uh, he's listening to Jesus talk about all these new topics, like, I'm going to go and die this significant death, and these things are going to happen to me. And I think uh, we have verse 22 and 23. um, and, And Peter says, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And and so it's not uncommon for Peter to say this because he just spent the last few months following Jesus and learning all these great things about the kingdom of God. And and Peter doesn't want Jesus to go anywhere. And I think we can relate to that. But but Jesus responds, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. The, the term hindrance is also the little note there it is saying that Jesus also called him a stumbling block, which is interesting because his name means rock. And so he is the stumbling block. And so it's his purpose to be that temptation to Jesus. But what Jesus is doing here is actually giving us that that sample, that idea of recognition. Because what Jesus is recognizing here is that his purpose in life isn't just for him, and that Jesus isn't living for him. He's not living for his reputation. He's not living for just being famous on this earth, because at this time, this is probably the peak of his his ministry. But he's saying that he's living for something more than himself. He's living for his Father. And so when we recognize ourselves, when we're going through that recognition We need to recognize what the world says of us. We need to recognize what God calls us to be. And we also recognize that what God calls us to be is probably not how we're living right now. And so this process of recognition is also, for us, known as repentance. And that term repentance is is something that is a hot-button topic because oftentimes repentance has negative connotations because we think repentance means We did something bad, which is true. But oftentimes we get stuck in that and we don't see things through. Uh, This chart that we have up here is is something that I use to understand repentance. Now, I'm not going to go through the full thing, but you can see in the left column here, it talks about true repentance. And it's talking about how, when we have true repentance, it's about how God is restoring us, it's about how our relationship with God is being renewed. And it's talking about how, through true repentance, we are, we are becoming something more than ourselves, rather than this false repentance, which is, in, which is the right-hand column. And it's talking all about our own self and, and uh, being stuck in our old ways. And so through repentance and through recognition, we recognize that we are not living in the, the kingdom of the right column, but we're actually living in this, this left column, living in godly repentance. Because repentance isn't just about being apologetic. It's about restoring the relationship with God and living into what God has prepared for us, living beyond ourselves. Uh, Oswald Chambers uh, puts repentance like this He says, Jesus Christ can afford to be misunderstood, but we cannot. Our weakness lies in always wanting to vindicate ourselves. Now, what he's saying here is that Jesus up to this point hadn't really revealed to his disciples his true purpose in God. He hasn't revealed that idea of the reason I'm here is so that I can die and so I can be made complete as a sacrifice. And so Jesus was able to, to take this away because Jesus was living the perfect life and he knew the whole plan. That's not our story. We're recognizing daily that our story is incomplete without Christ. And so a lot of times we, we like to cover things up with that magazine cover. We like to cover things up with these quick fixes. And we like to try to, to fit in this mold. And even when we don't, we cover that up. And we, we vindicate ourselves or we fool ourselves into thinking that, that who we are is good enough without God. But that's not true. And that's that whole idea of recognition. And so when, when God says deny yourself, it's not about... <laughs> Letting go who you are. It's about denying yourself as being separate from Christ. Because when we see our true self in God, it's only natural to realize that what we cling to in this earth is not from God. And so when we recognize that what we cling to is not from God, the only natural progression from that is death. And so uh, death in itself is uh, a funny thing, especially death in this context this passage of, of picking up your cross and follow me, that phrase in itself is something that's highly debated because uh, when Jesus says something about a cross, our, our minds kind of go off. Uh, but the interesting thing is, is that uh, in verse 24, Jesus says, come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now to us, kind of having a different perspective, uh, a perspective that knows that Jesus was crucified, uh, a perspective that knows that Jesus was resurrected when we hear Jesus say pick up your cross and follow me we know exactly what Jesus is saying but to his disciples they have no idea what he's talking about when he when he's saying pick up your cross To them, he is just mentioning this out of the blue, and they're like, what's going on? Um, And so (laughs) there's actually some theologians, this, this guy named Rain Prenter, believed that the purpose of the cross of Christ, so the cross that Christ was actually crucified was on, was essentially identical with the cross that we are called to bear, and that we are supposed to live out the same suffering as Christ. But that doesn't really make sense in our world. And I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. Because if we were called to live the same crucifixion of Christ, if we were called to literally pick up the cross and follow, follow Christ, that would glorify the cross, not God. That would glorify the cross and not the resurrection. And so I believe that Jesus meant something far deeper when, when he told his disciples to pick up their cross. Because in Jesus' day, the, the cross wasn't a symbol of, of sacrifice. It wasn't a symbol of resurrection It was just a symbol of death. And so what Jesus is telling them is that they needed to put death to their own plans and desires. They need to put to death these things that are separating themselves from God. And so in verse 26 it says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? And so this is saying when, when we don't put to death these desires, when we cling to our, our world, when we cling to the things that make us comfortable, what's the point? Because it's saying that this world has nothing to offer for us. And so Jesus isn't simply calling us to believe that he existed or even that he can save us, but he's calling us to commit our entire lives to him. He's calling us to trust in him alone for our salvation and to follow him as one of his disciples. And this idea of committing our whole lives to him, this idea of following him, is new life. Whether you like it or not, when you you put to death something, obviously we're not physically dead. But what that brings is that new life component. And so, uh, just to recap a little bit, uh, we talked about that recognition of our true self, recognizing that who we are alone is nothing compared to who we are in Christ with God. And we talked about when we recognize that identity of being with God, we recognize that there are things in our life that need to go. We recognize that there is parts in our life that we need to put to death. And so to this point, we've talked a lot about our own shortcomings, and it's been kind of uh, a difficult thing um, to kind of process. And if this is your first experience with the Bible, if this passage is the first thing you've ever heard about Jesus, then it might be very overwhelming to you to think of yourself as a Jesus follower. Because at a glance, following Jesus means that you're going to have to work hard, that you're going to feel bad about yourself, And that you're going to have to kill off the things that you like to do. And at a glance, this is a frustrating and difficult topic. But this passage here, if you look at it in context, is being told to the disciples after months of traveling with him and hearing his teachings. And the disciples knew firsthand that Jesus was the Son of God. They knew firsthand that that Jesus was who he said he was, so much so that Peter was was trying to get him to stick around. And it's, it's the truth in the fact that this process that Jesus has been leading his disciples upon had a purpose. Because Christ reveals himself to people gradually. And he lets them in light as they can bear it and and as they can receive it. And then as they go on, then you're able to grasp these more complex ideas, these more complex requests. And so the disciples from this time knew all these things about Christ, uh, but they weren't able to even comprehend this. Like even the disciples who who knew who Jesus was, who understood exactly what he, he came to do, had seen the miracles, had been with them the whole time, still questioned the fact that Jesus wanted them to deny themselves. They still were wrestling with that idea. And so it's natural for us to understand that it's difficult for us to grasp that as well and this is because new life is founded in belief first new life is founded in belief first and and uh, i'm sure a popular passage that you guys know is john 3:16 it's probably the most well-known passage of all the bible and in john 3:16 it says for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life something that you guys have all heard before i can guarantee it you see it at football games you see it on billboards you see it on tattoos it's, it's something that we just kind of accept as a cultural fact. But then the thing that I want to uh, pull out here is, is that it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. So loved that whoever believes. What it's saying is that being so loved by God transforms the way that you love. Being so loved by God transforms the way that you love. Because you can believe in, in God all you want. You can believe that uh, Jesus was the Son of God. You can, you can understand the factual elements of God. You can believe that the Bible is true. But if you can't accept the fact that you are loved by God, you won't fully grasp that faith. And this is something that that kind of rings home for for me personally, uh, because when I was growing up, I grew up at a church up in Minnesota, and I was told all the time that Jesus loves me and that God loves me, uh, and that all these different things are are founded in the fact that God loves me. This idea that God the Father has a a desire to love me and have that personal relationship with me. But it was difficult for me to grasp, uh, mostly because my idea of a father was different than what I thought other people's idea of was a father. Um, When I was young, my dad took a job in Washington, and he was gone for for four years of my life. And when he came back, I I just didn't feel that connection, and I didn't really understand uh, this idea of fatherhood. And to this day, I, I don't remember a time before I was about 17 years old when my dad told me that he loved me. I mean, I, I kind of knew it, and he, he paid the bills, and he kind of was around And so I knew my head knowledge was that my dad loved me. It made sense. Uh, I knew that I was his son, and so kind of like by default, uh, a father loves his son. But I didn't feel that in my heart. And so when I was trying to grasp this idea of God loving me, about, about God having this relationship with me, it didn't make sense. And so for the longest time, I didn't understand what it meant to be a follower of God. I didn't understand this idea of repentance. I didn't understand justification. I didn't understand all these complex things about God or Christ or or anything because I didn't understand the love of God. And it wasn't until I got that foundational aspect, until I was able to feel the love of God, until I was able to understand that the love of God had been there as long as I could remember and will be there until I don't remember anymore, that I'm able to understand my own faith. Because when the foundation of faith exists, new life is present. And the following of Jesus, when when Jesus is saying, follow me, that's just a natural progression of having that foundation in Christ. It's not about having the checklist, it's not about going and doing specific things, but it's just about living with God. Everything else just comes naturally because of that. This idea of, of faith in itself is action by nature. Faith by nature is action. A quick, a quick illustration of faith as action. Um, it's pretty simple. When you go to a pool um, you guys are from Texas, or most of you are, so you, you've seen this many times, and you see a young kid uh, with the, the floaties on his arms, or maybe the life jacket, um, and he's standing on the edge of the pool, and he's looking in, and you see his dad in the pool, standing there with his arms stretched in, saying, it's okay to jump, you can do this. And you see the kid at the side looking in. Now, this kid is probably old enough to know who his dad is. I hope that the parents are, like, the kid's old enough to recognize that his dad is in the pool. But the kid is standing on the side, and the kid looks into the pool and sees his dad. And he may know exactly who his dad is. He may have his entire life around him. He knows that his dad will catch him, and he knows that he is safe with his dad. Now, all these things are are good head knowledge, and you can know exactly who that person in the water is, but if the kid doesn't jump into the pool, faith is not complete. If he just decides to stand back and not jump in, he does not have faith in his dad. And it's the same thing for us. When we, when we look at our, our father, when we look at Jesus, and we say, Jesus, I know that you came, I know that you died, I know you rose again, I know these things. And God, I know that you created the universe and I know that you sustain us and I know that you are, are with us every day. But if you, if you just leave it at that, if you don't jump in, then faith is not complete. And so what Jesus is saying in this passage is that being a follower of him, following Jesus is that complete transformation of self. Jesus is saying, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This poetic verse kind of flips that idea of saying, When you follow me, everything is going to change. You will find new life in me. You will be transformed through me. My challenge for you today is to recognize that God is actively transforming your life. Because when you are experiencing the love of God, when you choose to jump in, nothing remains the same. One of my favorite authors, T.B. LaBerge, puts it like this. To think that you can love God without being changed by him is to think that you can jump into the ocean and not get wet. To really love him, you must understand that your life is going to be wrecked by him and built again into something beautiful and something lasting. You must understand that your life is going to be completely wrecked by Him, built again into something beautiful. God has something better for us. It's that simple. And that when we follow Jesus, when we allow for that death to, to happen, Things are starting to change. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God, we, we thank you for just revealing yourself to us. God, we know that you have the power to transform. God, we know that you have the power to, to hold us close. God, just give us the courage to jump in. Give us the courage to, to put faith into action. God, whatever that looks like, whether that action is is opening a Bible, whether that action is finally talking to that person that you've put in our life, or whether that action is just being committed to you wholly. God, we thank you for for giving us your son as that prime example of transformation, that prime example of, of what it means to follow you. And God, we know that we will never fully live up to that example, but God, just we're thankful that we don't have to and that we have a Savior who has come to rescue us so that our faith in you is made complete. God, help us to, to recognize that you are faithful and you are ever with us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.